This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 10. While you're turning there, I just want to add my emphasis to that Mike's announcement earlier to invite you to join us uh, Friday evening for the Christmas Eve service at 5 p.m. this year. If you've been there before, you're familiar with the format. Uh, It's a lessons and carol service uh, alternating between scripture readings leading up to and through the events of Christ's birth. And then uh, alternating with the readings are Christmas carols that uh, reflect on the theme of that passage. We will be taking up an offering as we do each year to go uh, to the PCA's uh, retirement benefits uh, office for the relief of retired and disabled uh, PCA pastors, uh, missionaries, their widows or dependents. Uh, we collect that each year, so uh, be prepared if you'd like to contribute to that. If you write a check, you can make it payable to OPPC, and we'll send the money over across the highway there to RBI. Uh, but that will be coming up Christmas Eve at 5 p.m. This morning, we're looking in John chapter 10. We're going to focus uh, kind of as our home verse on verse 10. However, I want us to read for a sense of the context, uh, beginning in verse 1 through 18. Hear the word of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, 
and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. We give thanks to the Lord for his word. Let's pray together and ask for his help as we study. Father, we do plead with you for your help, for the light of your Holy Spirit, for your grace as we study the scriptures. Father, what a magnificent passage uh, that we have before us this morning. How rich and full it is with truth, with images, metaphors. Father, we pray that you would give us grace and guide us into uh, a right uh, understanding of this passage and right application of it to our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Why did the Son of God become a man? That is the question that we are considering and uh, seeking to answer from the Scriptures this December as we contemplate the celebration of the birth of Christ. Why? Why the incarnation? Why did the Son of God become a man? And we put it that way because we recognize that Christmas is not the beginning of Jesus at least the beginning of his identity as the second person of the Trinity, the God-man. Jesus existed before he was born in Bethlehem, before he was placed in that manger, that he indeed existed from all eternity as the second person of the Trinity. And that's why Jesus, in these statements we're looking at, says, this is why I have come, or I came into the world in order to accomplish something. We've already looked at a couple of those. We looked in John 6. Uh, one reason that the Son of God became a man, as he tells us himself in John 6, 38, was to do his Father's will, to carry out the will of his Father, not just in terms of general obedience to the law of God, but to carry out that specific will, that specific mission, that task. In fact, uh, as Jesus uses the word in verse 18, a charge uh, that the Father had given him, a rescue mission. Rescue those of us who are held hostage uh, under the power of sin and death and Jesus giving himself to redeem us, to rescue us. And we saw last week that Jesus said that the Son of Man became a human being in order to bring judgment. The end of John chapter 9, uh, that judgment in the sense of division, separation, of giving sight to those who are blind, but confirming in blindness those who apart from submission to Christ say that they see. Well, this morning we want to look at another statement of Jesus along these lines, a specific reason, specific uh, understanding of what Jesus came into the world to do that we have from Jesus' own lips. He himself tells us, and we see it here in John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill, destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Again, in John's gospel, one of these statements where Jesus says, I came in order to accomplish something. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Why did the Son of God become a man? He came in order to give us life. He came to give us abundant life. Well, let's look then at this uh, passage, a familiar passage, I think, uh, to most of you, and see what it has to say about this purpose of Jesus, that he's coming to the world to give us life. First of all, as we look at verse 10, the, the beginning of the passage indicates that false shepherds bring death, not life. 
but death. Now, as we read through the passage, you recognize that Jesus is taking to task those who were not true shepherds of the sheep. Who were these false shepherds that Jesus refers to as those who steal and kill, those who destroy the sheep? Well, it's impossible to consider the answer to that question without reference to chapter 9. Remember last week we looked at chapter 9, the healing of this man who had been blind from birth. And Jesus heals the man's eyes. He restores his sight, a sight he had never had, uh, all new to him. Um, However, he did so on the Sabbath day, which did not sit well with the Pharisees who understood Jesus' action, if not the healing itself, then the making of the mud uh, salve that he put on the man's eyes as working and violating the Sabbath. And uh, they already didn't like Jesus. The man's parents were afraid of them because they'd already said that anyone who acknowledges Jesus' claims would be put out of the synagogue. So it's already a hostile environment to begin with. And because of this man's testimony that Jesus healed him, uh, they are bothered by this. And they interrogate the man. They interrogate his parents. They want to know about Jesus. What did he say? What did he do? Uh, the man didn't exactly douse the flames, but poured gas on them by asking, do you want to become this man's disciple? Well, they're highly offended at that. Uh, do you want to be Jesus' disciple? Well, no, they had no intentions of being Jesus' disciple. They couldn't answer what happened. They couldn't really answer the man's protests in verse 33 of John 9. If this man were from God, he were not from God, he could do nothing. They say, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us, and they cast him out. They excommunicated him from the synagogue. And then you have that epilogue at the end of John 9, this conversation between Jesus and this man who had been healed. And the man makes his profession of faith in Jesus, and he worships Jesus. And apparently at least some of the Pharisees were were there, and they respond to Jesus' statement that we looked at. Are you talking about us? Are we also blind? And Jesus says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. Now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And immediately, Jesus says in chapter 10, verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door climbs in by another way. That man's a thief and a robber. Just the, the, the absolute close proximity of chapter 9 moving into chapter 10 so quickly helps us to realize that if we're going to understand who it is Jesus is talking about, we need to recognize this falls on the heels of chapter 9 and the fact that these men who should have been shepherds of the flock, in fact excommunicate a man who had truly come to faith in Christ. Just the opposite. They persecute the true believer. And so we have to understand chapter 10 and what Jesus says says here in light of 9. What does he say about them? Well, they're, they're thieves. Verse 1, we see him use that term. Verse 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. He says that their purpose is to steal, steal the sheep. Take the sheep for themselves. What a contrast from a true shepherd. Think of John the Baptist. And remember when uh, his disciples started saying, well, you know, John, all, all the people are starting to follow Jesus. Jesus is drawing bigger and bigger crowds. Your crowds are getting smaller. John said, that's right. That's how it should be. I must decrease and he must increase. Pharisees didn't like the fact people were following Jesus. They felt threatened. By that, They wanted the sheep for themselves. They wanted control over them. They wanted to, to have that feeling of power over people for themselves. They came to steal. They came to kill. 
and destroy. And that's what they were doing by heaping up huge burdens, mounds of guilt on the people. Not because they broke God's laws, but because they broke the traditions of the Pharisees. So he talks about these who were thieves, who are stealing the sheep, but he also talks about those who are false shepherds, uh, who maybe aren't quite that degree, and yet are not also, are also not quite what they should be. We see this in verse 12. The, the hired hand, uh, I believe it's the King James who uses that wonderful term, the hireling. Uh, the ESV, a more modern term, the hired hands. Those who are working with the sheep, Jesus says, he is a hired hand, not a shepherd, doesn't own the sheep, has no interest vested personally in the sheep, sees a wolf coming, and what does he do? He leaves the sheep and he flees. He's not concerned about the sheep, he's concerned about himself. And he leaves the sheep and he flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So Jesus is talking here about two classes of false shepherds. One, those who truly are robbers and thieves, who are there and, and to take the, sh- the sheep for themselves, but also those who are sort of time servers. They're just doing their job. Uh, they they want to do the minimum possible. And if danger arises, uh, if discomfort harm, even death to themselves is a possibility. They're gone. They're out of there. Sheep can worry about themselves. Uh, the hired hand is going to take care of number one. And Jesus puts both of these in that position. Well, who were they then? Well, obviously, in connection with chapter nine, we would have to say he's referring to the Pharisees, uh, perhaps the Sadducees, other leaders, scribes, teachers of the law, uh, others who should have been taking better care of the sheep, but who, on the one hand, may actually have been trying to steal the sheep for themselves and doing the sheep great harm, others who were just uh, just putting in their time, punching the clock, going home at the end of the day, so to speak. Yeah, they would do what they were supposed to do, but there was no real interest or passion, concern for the welfare of the sheep of God's people. That's who Jesus is talking about. What do we have those with us today? These false shepherds that Jesus warns against. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. They come in the, in the form of false teachers today. False teachers, false leaders in the church. Uh, you see this in different forms and in manifestations in the church. One form that's fairly obvious is the health and prosperity form of teaching and preaching. Uh, where you express your faith by writing a big check and send it to the uh, health and wealth preacher. Uh, he gets healthy and wealthy, and, and you're out your thousand bucks or whatever it is that you sent to him. But if you have enough faith, you'll, you'll do that. Uh, th- that's, that's an abuse. That is a stealing from, if not stealing of, uh, the sheep and a false gospel. Another is legalism. Uh, in a church that uh, makes standards, that sets laws, that, that holds requirements that the scriptures simply don't. Where man's law comes into effect and God's law, uh, you would like to think is being kept, but in some ways, man's law, as with the Pharisees, is a way of getting around God's law. Uh, this often has to do with externals, with appearance, behavior, without really dealing with the, the issues of the heart. Uh, of, of even greater sins like pride and self-righteousness uh, and humbling ourselves in our sin before Christ, acknowledging our need of him, that he alone is our righteousness. So legalism is, is kind of a false shepherd in the teaching of it, churches that, that stand on that. 
Another is theological liberalism. J. Gresham Machen, founder of Westminster Seminary, one of the founders of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, has a great book, highly encourage it, uh, you'd read it, called Christianity and Liberalism. Uh, liberal is, a, is, is, in its origin anyway, a good word. I was trying to think of another word that describes this, modernism, uh, neo-orthodoxy, uh, whatever you might call it. But theological liberalism basically uh, is an established term. Uh, that, that see, or a higher critical view of the scriptures, that the Bible's not what it presents itself as being, uh, that, uh, that the miracles are embellishments of the early church and so forth. So, uh, I think the most honest word you can use for it is unbelief. But, uh, you see this in many mainline churches. Not all the congregations necessarily, but in the mainline churches as a whole, a whole view of the Bible that simply does not accept it as inerrant. That tries to explain away the miracles, that tries to explain away even fundamental doctrines of the faith, like the virgin birth or the resurrection of Jesus, as uh, as mere superstition, as mere legend and fable. Think of the inestimable harm done to the sheep when they sit for week after week and year after year under that kind of erosion of the authority and the truth of the scriptures. And what that does... Paul said, if Christ is not risen in, 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 in body and in fact, then our faith is in vain, our preaching is in vain, and so on. And yet this is also a manifestation of the false shepherd uh, undermining the word of God and the gospel of Christ from the very pulpits and seminaries of the church. False gospel, false teachers. But they can also take the form, since the, the false shepherd, the shepherd is something that is to give life, that is to protect, that is to provide for. We can also think of false shepherds in terms of other things, not necessarily persons or institutions, but those things in which we look to for satisfaction, for provision, for safety, for nourishment. Uh, material things, relationships. Uh, jobs, all of those kinds of things, if we're not careful, can sort of become a false shepherd to us because we look to that for refuge. We look to those things for provision, for safety, when ultimately we should look to the Lord. We should seek his kingdom, his righteousness, and trust that he will provide all of these other things for us that we do need, but we don't look to those things in the sense that sheep would look to a shepherd. So those two can become Things that promise life, but ultimately are false shepherds to us. So the false shepherds bring death, but then Jesus quickly contrasts that with himself in verse 10. I came, I came into this world that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, life and abundantly go go together, uh, abundant life, but we want to talk about them sort of separately and then just consider what Jesus is saying by that. Talking about life. Uh, go back to verse 7. Uh, Jesus' image, another I am statement. I am the door. Now, obviously, Jesus is speaking metaphorically. I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. It's interesting how often these statements that Jesus says, I came do something are in close proximity to these same well-known statements where Jesus says, I am, for example, in chapter 6, the bread of life. Uh, And here, two of them, I am the door, 
I'm the good shepherd. Well, it's the door. Jesus brings life. He is the, the, one, the, the door, the gate, was the way by which the sheep entered into the fold, into safety. The gate also allowed them to go out and find pasture, but it was a place of, of safety, of protection. It was a home base. Well, Jesus says, I am that door. If anyone enters by me, he will have life. He will be saved. Very similar to another statement of Jesus where he says, I am the way. How do we know the way of the Father, disciples ask? Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Anyone comes to the Father, by, no one comes to the Father except through me. Well, Jesus is saying something similar. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. We'll go in and out and find pasture. How do we do that? Well, the scriptures explain that in other ways, that we enter into the kingdom, we enter into eternal life through repenting of our sins, which means acknowledging them for what they are, uh, and confessing them to God, but also by trusting in Jesus, not in ourselves, but in Jesus alone, in his obedience to God's law perfectly for us, in his sacrificial death in our place on the cross, trusting in him. That's how we enter by the door that is Jesus. That's how we enter into life. That's how we have life through Jesus, through repentance and faith in him. Now, notice he also uses another image here along those lines as the good shepherd. We find life. The shepherd protects the life of his sheep. And he says, I am the good shepherd. Verse 11, verse 14. Uh, as a good shepherd, he does a couple of things. He says in verse 11, he lays down his life for the sheep. In contrast to the hired hand. Now, the, the metaphor breaks down a little bit. The worst thing that could happen for the sheep is for the shepherd to die. Now, the shepherd's going to fight to protect the sheep, but the shepherd has to win. The shepherd is defeated. The sheep are vulnerable. But, in fact, Christ himself shepherds us. He wins our safety through his own death. He, and he's willing to lay down his life. A good shepherd is willing to fight to the death for his sheep if need be, but that would be a calamity for the sheep if he dies. Christian sheep is the best thing in the world that our shepherd died for us and did, in fact, lay down his life for the sheep. He was no thief. He didn't crawl over the fence, come in an illegitimate way. He was no hireling, as he contrasts himself with a hireling. He was just interested in himself, but he, he, he puts himself out there. He lays himself down, lays down his life for the sheep. Not only so, verse 14, as a good shepherd, he no one gives his life for the sheep. He knows his sheep. There's a lot, much has been made in this passage of, of the sheep hearing the voice, knowing the voice of their shepherd. That, that sheep of different flocks even could be gathered in a, in a holding pen. And the shepherd would call for his sheep and his sheep would know his voice and would follow him. And he knows the sheep. And that's what Jesus says here. I know my own. My own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. There are other sheep not of this fold. I'm going to bring them also one flock. One shepherd, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Huge uh, theological uh, truth here that's somewhat tangential to the purposes this morning, but uh, worth being aware of is Jesus claimed that no one takes his life from him. When Jesus died on that cross, it was a voluntary offering up of himself. Whether you want to say where they can take him physically and arrest him, or even his death as a sinless being on the cross, though bearing the sins of his people vicariously on the cross, he lays down his life and he is able to take it up again. So the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd knows his sheep, takes an interest in his sheep, is aware of his sheep, is not indifferent to them. And so we look at that. And that's how he gives us life. 
by, by dying for us, and there's that relationship that we have with him. Uh, remember Jesus in another place says, this is eternal life, to know God, Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. That's eternal life, that Christ has died for us, and that we now know him, and he knows us. That's life. But Jesus qualified it. He didn't just say, I came that they might have life. He says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. We're familiar with that as an expression, but are we familiar with that as a reality? That there is an abundance in knowing God, in living for God, in following Christ. That has nothing to do with bank accounts, with possessions, with any of that. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. It was the editor, H.L. Mencken, who defined Puritanism as the haunting fear that someone, somewhere, might be happy. Well, unfortunately, even Christians have sort of bought into that caricature of the Puritans who uh, were imperfect like everybody else, but uh, I think had, a, in many ways, a much firmer and more realistic grip on the realities of life, both in its sorrows and in its joys, than many do today. Uh, they weren't perfect, to be sure, but uh, that's a gross mischaracterization of the Puritans who loved life, who loved Christ, and loved living life for Christ. Uh, but Jesus came to give us abundant life. Uh, not like, uh, false shepherds would promise, but life that's real because it's connected to the, to, to, to the true, to the living God through Jesus Christ. You can say, well, you know, how can we have life with all these rules and Ten Commandments and so forth? <clears throat> well, first of all, if that's your attitude, you need to go back and check your heart. Uh, because if, if your whole mentality is to get away from the law of God, then your heart may well not be regenerate. You may not know God at all. You read Psalm 119, and every verse almost in that psalm, that longest chapter of the Bible, if you want to consider it as a chapter, is an expression of love, of admiration for, of delight in the law of God. That's the heart of the regenerate. Lord, teach me your way. Let me walk in your ways. And then we realize that God's law uh, are, are boundaries that are designed to protect, to protect the sheep from danger, from harm, physically, yes, but also spiritually, <clears throat> emotionally, mentally, that God's boundaries protect, but also that God's blessings fulfill. To know the Lord is to have life, is to have it abundantly. There are people in this world who do have an abundance in their bank account and their possessions and so forth. And while those things can be pleasant, they are a gift of God's common grace, at least. Uh, and yet, without the God who gave them, there's something missing. But knowing the Lord, we can have not just life, but abundant life. Life that is truly life indeed. You know, it's interesting, we've been looking at Passages having to do with sheep and shepherds, the familiar 23rd Psalm, uh, <clears throat> the passage in Jeremiah, and there are others like it in Ezekiel that, that take Israel to task for her false shepherds. Same thing here in this chapter. We're very used to thinking of sheep and shepherds. But we have to acknowledge that that's sort of a uncomplimentary metaphor. That sheep to be, to be called a sheep, it was not a compliment. That sheep were not the most bright of animals. <clears throat> they needed a lot of help. They needed a lot of protection. They needed a lot of caring for. And even being a shepherd, while an honorable profession, was fairly low down on the uh, socioeconomic status meter. 
uh, that often shepherds were held somewhat in, sus- in suspicion, uh, even as, in, as to their character. And yet that's probably the most familiar description uh, or picture of the relationship of Jesus to his church. Well, who, who would really want to be a sheep? Well, if it means being a Christian sheep, I do, and I hope you do. Who would really want to be a shepherd? Jesus does. Jesus wants to be a shepherd. Jesus is, if you're a believer, your shepherd. He is a good shepherd. And as we think about the birth of Christ this time of year, we want to think of Jesus as the one who came to be a good shepherd to his people, who came into this world so that through him, the good shepherd, we may have life and have it abundantly. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that Jesus is our shepherd, that we are, oh Jesus, your sheep. Father, we pray that we would know what it is to have life under the loving care, under that staff of our shepherd, the Lord Jesus. And Father, here in Christmas, uh, with giving and receiving of gifts, and uh, Lord, the abundance that we enjoy in this world, we pray that our highest sense of wealth and abundance and life would come from knowing you and growing in our knowledge of you, the one true and living God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.